The Wolverines leave Bloomington feeling blue with Penix envy. Where does Michigan go from here? And the Badgers, they return to football field after a two-week hiatus due to an onslaught of COVID-19 positives. We will preview the game in Ann Arbor this Saturday with Colton Bartholomew from the Wisconsin State Journal. We'll get you some weekly picks and a whole lot more. It's all coming up on this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. This week's edition of Hail to the Pod, I'm your host, Kevin Rich. As always, you can email the show at hailtothepod at gmail.com, tweet me at krich23, and download and subscribe to the podcast everywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. If you like the show, leave it a five-star review, and if you subscribe, every time there's a new episode, it will get downloaded directly to your favorite podcast platform anytime a new episode is available. Michigan, woof. Second loss in a row, this time coming at the nads, I mean hands, of Michael Penix and the Indiana Hoosiers. I mean, we got to have some fun. We got to have fun with Michael Penix's name, obviously. But uh, Michigan, no good last week. Oh my gosh. Final score, 38-21. to And let's just be honest here, the game wasn't even close. Michigan's 24-game winning streak to Indiana gets flushed down the you-know-what. And there are a lot of question marks right now in Ann Arbor, and there's no sugarcoating it. Things are not good for the Wolverines right now. We talked about on the podcast last week that with their backs up against the wall and all the stuff being thrown at Harbaugh and the coaching staff all the last week after a big upset against Michigan State, this was their opportunity to go out and blast an Indiana team and right the ship. And if anything, the ship is sinking even more. And it's frustrating. Like you, I'm having a hard time figuring out how Jim Harbaugh and this coaching staff turns this around. And I've been a proponent of Jim Harbaugh. I've been a proponent of Don Brown. And it's, you live and die with the program. And I don't want to see these guys lose their jobs, but you got to ask questions and you got to ask questions that get answers. Like we need answers right now. And the stats aren't great. Harbaugh had a 20-4 and four record at Michigan heading into the 2016 Ohio State game. He's 28-16 and 16 since. Even worse, Michigan is 10-8 and eight dating back to the 2018 Ohio State game. Six of those eight losses, they weren't even close. They were by 17 points or more. And what's frustrating for me, as I'm sure it's frustrating for you, Harbaugh goes in his press conferences and he says stuff like, well, we're practicing well. We're getting really close to figuring things out. That's not acceptable. Like, this is Michigan. This is the winningest team in college football, which, by the way, won't be the winningest team that much longer if this continues. James Earl Jones says it best in the hype video that plays before the team takes the field at the big house. We play in the Big Ten Conference in pursuit of national championships. We believe in football, championship football. Well, I don't have to tell you, in the world we live in in college football, you lose two games in a season, at whatever point in the season you lose them, you're not going to win a national championship. And especially when you lose two games this early in the season, those goals are gone. You're not winning a national championship and you're not winning the Big Ten Conference. 
Michigan's only shot to win the Big Ten Conference right now would have to be chaos of COVID-19 and other weird crap. I mean, it's 2020, so maybe that could happen. But what I'm getting at and what's so frustrating about this is that this is, again, another year, just like last year, Michigan loses to Wisconsin. Michigan loses to Penn State. They put up a good fight to try and fight back and get back in that game, but they lose. Michigan has two losses. After the game, Coach Harbaugh says, we're going to get it fixed. We're going to figure things out. We're, we're, we're ready to click. Why? At that point in the season, like they come out the following week, they obliterate a Notre Dame team by more than 30 points, which by the way, the same Notre Dame team as last year basically was the team that just beat the number one team in the country last Saturday in Clemson. But guess what? When that happened last year, it was too late. In this year, two losses into this young season, it is too late again. Jim Harbaugh is a Michigan man. If anyone can understand what Michigan has been built off of, it's him. Where's the anger? Where's the demand for the results? I mean, maybe, look, again, on the surface, he's not saying it in the press conferences. So I can't sit here and tell you that that's the problem. But at the same time, I can't sit here and tell you that I feel confident that that's happening in the locker room or on the practice field because it is yet to show itself in a game. And sadly, the last few years when it has come out, the season was already lost. What's it mean to play for a Capital One Bowl game or an Outback Bowl? It doesn't mean anything. So as fans, as people that love this football team and this football program, it is completely rational to be frustrated and upset right now. I don't necessarily think it's rational to say Coach Harbaugh needs to be fired right now in the middle of the season. But I think it's rational to question the coaching staff. I think it's rational to question where do we go from here? When you're a fan of Michigan football, you have every right to demand a lot and demand more from this football team, especially five plus years into Jim Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan. And I'm not sitting here saying he's got to go right now. Again, I'll keep saying that. I, that's, that's a decision that's got to be made. He's got another year on the contract anyways. But if you're nervous about him bolting for the NFL, by the way, I'm not sure that his stock is that high right now. I mean, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, since the 2018 Ohio State game, he's 10 and 8. I'm not salivating if I'm an NFL owner looking to make a coaching change when I look at that record. But, you know, we knew this was going to be a young football team this year. They graduated quite a bit. But shouldn't they be better than this? Like, that's that's what I just have a tough time figuring out. It's just painful to see Michigan consistently have top 10 recruiting classes and then lose games like these last two. I mean, sure, there are players that don't live up to their four or five stars And there are ones that, you know, they end up being gems and defy, you know, how they grade it out. But Michigan has far more talent across the board than Indiana and far more than Michigan State. Those teams do not, do not have the same talent as Michigan. However, their coaching staffs are getting those players to play better than this Michigan football team. So the fact that Michigan lost the two games the way they did is appalling. And there's something going on there. I mean, Michigan's secondary has been awful. But can we honestly sit here and say it's the players playing in the secondary that are that bad? Or is it the scheme and the situation they're playing in? Great coaches get the most out of their players. 
if a man-to-man defense isn't working, if Don Brown's staple defense of putting your cornerbacks on an island, if that's not working, you got to make adjustments. I would imagine these players, as highly recruited as they are, as the talent we've seen in years past, they should be better than this. And where are the adjustments in the game? I mean, they came out against Indiana and played some zone and looked even worse. These are highly recruited corners. There's talent across the board here. So for me, I think there's a lot of questions on this coaching staff. For whatever reason, there is some disconnect with what's what they say is happening at practice. We haven't been to a practice. But what they say is happening at practice and then what's happening on the football field. So to me, it seems that the coaches aren't putting them in the best position to succeed. But again, that's just my feeling. A lot of these guys are young. Maybe it's just because they are young. But you expect that can happen against a veteran team, not against a team like Michigan State like it did two weeks ago with a brand new coaching staff and a team that was gutted with a lack of recruits, players that decided not to go there after their head coach quit a day before signing day on Twitter. So I don't know what the answers are. Maybe there needs to be a coaching change at the end of the season. But even that sounds like it could go as stubborn as Michigan's play calling the last few weeks because every indication has been that this administration wants a Michigan guy at the helm. If that's the case, then you have that guy. Who else is out there? I mean, if the penultimate Michigan man, which in this case is undoubtedly Jim Harbaugh, if he can't win championships with this program, then what other Michigan man out there right now can There just aren't many of them out there, which by the way, not many staff out there have an alum coaching their program and even rarer, Wisconsin is the only team in the FBS whose head coach, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are all coaching at the same school they went to. So if the administration determines they want to move onward from Harbaugh, if Harbaugh decides to leave on his own at the end of the year, it may be wise to look outside the Michigan circle, and it may be wise to give that guy a chance and not run him out right away like what happened previously. I just don't know who's more qualified and more Michigan than the guy running the football team right now. So again, I don't get paid that kind of money to figure that out. But again, as a lifelong Michigan fan and someone that bleeds maize and blue, just like you listening to this podcast, I am frustrated to see how the team is performing right now, beyond frustrated. And I'm also frustrated to have to listen to the media each week dump on our football team. When you aren't winning, when you lose to a team you've beaten 24 times in a row by 17 points, sadly, you have every reason to be put on blast. But you know what fixes that? Winning. And while it isn't acceptable to Michigan to already be out of the conference and national championship race, it is even more unacceptable to keep losing. This coaching staff, these coordinators, these leaders on this football team, the young guys included, they need to figure this out and they need to get back to winning ways as soon as possible. And they will undoubtedly face a tough test this week against the 13th ranked Wisconsin Badgers. And to help preview the game this Saturday in Ann Arbor, it's my pleasure to be joined by Colton Bartholomew. Colton covers the Wisconsin Badgers for the Wisconsin State Journal. You can check out his great work at madison.com. Find him on Twitter at CBartWSJ. Colton, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I tell you, it's been quite a wait 
for the Badgers. You know, they looked so impressive that first game of the year, taking down Illinois, uh, literally the first game of the delayed Big Ten season. And then, boom, here we are. We're in a pandemic. COVID-19 hits, 27 positive tests, had to miss the last two games. Uh, Obviously, we're hearing some good news, down to just five positive tests. What's it been like in Madison these past few weeks for the football team? It's been eerie, to be honest with you, man. It's just been strange because a normal football season, you know, especially when you've got the talent and the, the ranking that the Badgers do, that's the talk of, of the town, and it's, it's something that you can kind of feel. And there's an energy to it. And then when all this stuff's been shut down, um, you know, the, this program's been going through what they've been going through. It's been one of those, like, it's been like something that people don't want to talk about even. It's it's kind of become an, almost like a taboo topic because, you know, you feel for the fact not only that they've had this outbreak, but then, you know, even the guys that are healthy aren't able to play. And, you know, they're um, – sitting out and missing games that they you know fought so hard to get back to this fall and then you have the other kind of added element that because of the outbreak what they did was they secured a, a big block of hotel rooms for guys that had roommates on the team that you know basically to make sure that all the healthy kids were separated as much as possible to stop this spread and try to maintain it as best they could and after about a week it seemed to work and the numbers started coming down but you know, I, I just can't imagine you're a college athlete and you're used to hanging out with your, your teammates and your friends and working out and practicing and meeting every day and doing all this stuff, and then it just kind of becomes sit in a room, work out however you can individually, you know, away from the facility, and then uh, talk on Zoom, and that's it for, you know, two-plus weeks. But that's kind of the reality that they had to live in. Yeah, it's just it's crazy to think about. I mean, I think of, you know, our college years, you know, some of the best years of our lives. And, you know, it's unfortunately the the world we're living in right now with the pandemic until we're able to, you know, get that um, eradicated. Um, it's just, you know, been a, a terrible situation for, um, you know, not just students at these campuses, but student athletes. And you hit on it. I mean, the expectations for Wisconsin. I mean, these are sky high expectations this year, aren't they? They are. And, you know, it, it, when you consider everything that all of the Big Ten teams are going through with no spring practices, basically, and the the off season being so weird, not really being in contact with each other until uh, June or July, and then training camp getting shut down when they canceled the season, then coming back. All these things kind of added up to the teams that had the most continuity and the most kind of known commodities were going to be successful right away. You look at where Ohio State's at or where Wisconsin seemed to be at, with all the returners they had on defense and the, the key guys they would have on offense, it seemed like things were shaping up that this could be a year Wisconsin makes a run. And then all of this happens, and you start looking at some of these projections. Even if Wisconsin were to, to win out here, uh, get to a Big Ten championship game and see what happens, but even then you're looking at maybe at best a 7-0 and or a 6-1 and record, and is that going to be good enough compared to teams that have played 11 or 12 games down the road? Or, you know, it's just kind of becomes a situation where you don't know um, what this team could have been had this not happened. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, Wisconsin, what they put together against the Illini first game of the season would lead uh, many people to believe they're probably uh, the best team in the West. And I think, you know, really, Colton, the, the million dollar question, we know Graham Mertz, who put together just a magical performance uh, his uh, his freshman um, season here, his first game of the year uh, for Wisconsin, what we saw against him or what he put uh, uh, on the field against Illinois. 
Uh, you know, million dollar question. We know he tested positive on the 25th. Uh, technically, he'd be cleared to play uh, for the game on Saturday. What are you hearing about, you know, his chances of being under center? Or do you think we're going to see maybe Chase Wolf or Danny Vandenboom? Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, when we kind of dive into all the numbers and the exact dates uh, with all these protocols, it sounds like Thursday, so we're recording this here on Wednesday, uh, Thursday's going to be the first day that he's allowed to practice. And, you know, the way that Wisconsin kind of sets up their practices is that Thursday and Friday are basically walkthroughs. Um, they might ramp it up a little bit more given the situation right now and the fact that they've been off for a while. But um, Paul Christ and Joe Rudolph and the times that we've talked to him this week have said, you know, it's going to come down to how much he can practice, how he looks in those practices, and, you know, whether basically – uh, him on limited preparation in person like that um, is going to give us a better option than one of the guys that's been practicing. Um, Chase Wolf had also tested positive uh, that same weekend. We know that Graham Mertz tested positive the 24th, the day after the Illinois game. Um, we're not sure the exact date of that weekend that Chase Wolf did. There's a possibility that he's available, but if Wolf's not available and Mertz isn't available, or they just decide that Mertz isn't the right option, it's probably going to end up being Danny Vandenboom, the guy that came in um, fourth on the depth chart before the season. But um, one of those guys that the coaches have always kind of secretly liked a lot. It's just the people in front of him were just a little bit more talented, and uh, they roll with him that, in that way. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting, and I'll be completely honest with you. I don't think we're going to know definitively who's playing until they, they come out for warm-ups and we see who's with that first-team offense. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's that's certainly uh, what we're going to see, which, uh, you know, no one's tipping any caps here. And, and I don't know if it's even a tip of the cap because I, I agree. I don't know that they necessarily uh, know who's going to be uh, available to, to play in that game until they get a little further into the week. As you mentioned, uh, we're recording this here on Wednesday. But it seems, uh, you know, Michigan, uh, sadly, after what was a great performance in the opening game against Minnesota, although I think we've come to find Minnesota uh, certainly isn't as good as we were thinking they would be this year after 11 wins uh, last season. But Michigan's really struggled in the secondary. They've been getting blasted in the air the last two weeks. They've allowed 665 yards uh, in the air over the last two games to Michigan State and Indiana. So it seems whoever's under center uh, for Wisconsin on Saturday uh, will we'll certainly uh, be uh, looking to air the football out. Who are some of the weapons? You know, I, I know we always think about Wisconsin uh, with the strength at, at running back. Certainly we saw that with Jonathan Taylor the last few years, and we can rattle off every other historic running back uh, Wisconsin's had over the years. But, you know, maybe who are some of the weapons that Michigan fans should be keeping an eye out for the Badgers when they watch the game on Saturday? Yeah, so when you look at the receiver group, <clears throat> two guys that jump to mind right away are Danny Davis, and Kendrick Pryor, two seniors that, you know, like you mentioned, Wisconsin's got their identity. They're going to run the ball regardless of who they, if they have a star or they're kind of uh, at a committee in the backfield like they are this season. But Davis and Pryor have been, have played a lot of games. You know, they're, they're going to be making their, you know, 42nd or 43rd, uh, you know, game this week uh, against Michigan. So super experienced and have been, you know, explosive in flashes. You know, it's they haven't been getting as many touches as, as your typical one and two wide receiver uh, would throughout their career. But they're guys that are definitely capable. And they're, the thing that Wisconsin does is they get them the ball in different ways. You know, Kendrick Pryor has been extremely effective on jet sweep handoffs. 
uh, playing a little bit more slot this year. And then Danny Davis has always been a little bit more of an outside receiver, um, and they, they've really used him effectively over the last two years on some deep shots. So uh, those are two guys as receivers. And then I, I think you saw in that first game the connection that Mertz and Jake Ferguson had. You know, it's not just the three touchdowns because, you know, Illinois sold out against the run in the red zone, so Ferguson was by himself in the end zone for a couple of those. But I think when you look at the way that Mertz targeted Ferguson down the sideline against man coverage and some other situations, kind of just trusting his receiver to make a play on the ball, um, even though he's a tight end, he's, I would argue, probably the most talented or most diverse um, receiving threat that is on this Wisconsin offense. So those three guys that are going to make up a lot of the targets. And then there's also uh, Chamari DK, who's a true freshman, which is a real rarity at Wisconsin, that a true freshman at a skill position uh, can jump in right away and start making an impact. But he was one of the talks of training camp. And we didn't see him too much in that Illinois game, but I wonder if not only because of the COVID stuff or just because, you know, giving him some more time to get even more acclimated to the playbook and the scheme, if this is the week or um, the game that he starts making an impact. We're talking to Colton Bartholomew. Colton covers the Wisconsin Badgers for the Wisconsin State Journal. Uh, great work over at Madison.com. You can find him on Twitter at CBARTWSJ. Uh, Colton, we talked about uh, the, the running backs. Uh, yeah, I kind of talked about the fact that Gosh, it seems like year in and year out, uh, Wisconsin just produces great running backs. Obviously, we saw what Jonathan Taylor did recently uh, over the years, Melvin Gordon, uh, James White, Corey Clement. I mean, I'm just thinking of uh, these are just guys I'm thinking off the top of my head. Yeah, you mentioned there hasn't really been, at least we didn't see it in the first game, a a clear leader in the clubhouse. I I thought both running backs uh, were effective at times, but really no bell cow. What are you expecting to see out of the running game on Saturday in terms of, you know, who could maybe uh, stand out and and be the guy to to take the carries moving forward? I got to say, if it were me coaching just going off of that first game, uh, Garrett Groshek, the senior, would be who I lean on the most. And I think overall, talent-wise, Nikia Watson and Isaac Arendo, the two other guys that were getting carries uh, in week one, they probably have more talent. They're maybe a little bit more explosive, a little bit more of a home run threat, either of those guys. But what Garrett Groshek does is pretty much textbook gap and power scheme running that you're asking a Wisconsin running back to do, which is, you know, be patient before you make your break, but, you know, make sure that when you make your cut, it's at full speed and let blocks develop in front of you. I think that Garendo, he's a younger guy. This is his first full year playing running back. Um, Nikia Watson, also a younger guy, was Jonathan Taylor's backup last year. They're really impatient against Illinois. They were pressing things too much and not letting blocks develop. And then in the second half, on their, I think it was their fourth or fifth touchdown drive, Groshek had, I think, seven carries in a row. And a lot of it was he'd catch the hand or grab the handoff. You know, take a couple of steps, figure out where the hole is going to be, not always, you know, exactly where it's designed because that, that, as the blocks develop, and then make his move. So, to me, that that's what you need. And he's not going to be Jonathan Taylor by any stretch. You know, he's not going to be putting up 200-yard games, but he's a guy that can give you 15, 16 carries, approach maybe 100 yards, pop a big one here or there, but keep the chains moving, be that consistent force that you need at running back. And then, assuming Mertz is back there at quarterback, be able to use the play action off of that and get Mertz kind of comfortable in his rhythm that way. So I would expect Garrett Groshek gets a little bit more run, but uh, you're always going to see multiple backs uh, this season for Wisconsin. It's not just going to be one. 
On the other side of the football, this defense, uh, you know, saw what Wisconsin's defense did to Michigan uh, last year. Uh, I was actually uh, in person later in the season, saw the uh, Wisconsin uh, dismantling of Michigan State uh, at Camp Randall, uh, which, by the way, great trip. Madison, like my favorite Big Ten campus other than Ann Arbor. Gotta love Madison. Uh, the, the the food's great. The uh, spotted cows. I mean, if they could figure out a way to get those uh, distributed outside of the state, uh, I'd be drinking those every day. But that defense, I got to tell you, I mean, that they've been so impressive. Lone score in that game against Illinois uh, was a recovery return for touchdown. So really, the defense didn't give up uh, any, any scores in that one. I think I read a stat in the uh, game notes this week. It's the fifth time in their last 15 games that an opponent failed to score any offensive points against the Badgers. And I I know it's a one-game sample, but I think Badger Nation, I mean, they have to feel pretty good about this defense and what Jim Leonard's been bringing on the football field, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And I think that was one of the things that I, I think Wisconsin's really starting to embrace the fact that, you know, without Jonathan Taylor this year, that they're going to be a defensive team first. Obviously, when you go into that first game and then Mertz does what he does, then all the attention goes there as a quarterback and not just the way football is. But uh, I think everybody kind of knows, like, this defense is going to be what leads this team um, throughout a full season. And assume, like, we'll, we'll see what the, the impact COVID had uh, on that starting group. You know, they were, we talked to Jim Leonard today, a little bit coy about who is going to be in, who is going to be out. They're, they're pretty tight-lipped about the, their situation regarding who's going to be able to play. But as long as they have a majority of these guys, they have so much depth in the defensive line and the secondary spots that even if they were to lose one or two of those guys at those spots, they'd be okay. The big question for me is what they shape up at, at linebacker. You know, that was the thinnest spot to begin with. They're inside linebackers. They really only have three guys that are ready to play at this point. And then they're outside linebackers. They've got a lot of young guys that – they feel like they can play, but they didn't play uh, in that week one game yet. So um, I think this defense is going to be the strength of the team once they're completely healthy again. But I want to see the, the patchwork that happens with uh, their situation with this COVID outbreak uh, going into the Michigan game because, like I said, this has to be the leader of the team. And then if, if it's depleted at all, then you're you know, a little bit risky because we, we talked to – you know, multiple players this week. There's a lot of respect for Joe Milton and this Michigan offense. I know they haven't had the, the success that they want to yet, but they see the the flash plays and they see you know the heights that it can go to when Joe Milton's on drive to drive, and they know that they're not in for an easy test whatsoever. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's what's been so frustrating for for Michigan fans. Uh, you know, watching this Michigan team this year is you know coming out and seeing what the offense did. Um, that speed and space that coordinator Josh Gaddis always talks about. I mean, that was on full display against a team that won 11 games at last year. And then all of a sudden it was non-existent uh, the last two weeks. But you, you get this sense that they could turn it on uh, at some point, uh, which makes, you know, our jobs fun when we try and prognosticate <laughs> and uh, talk about how we think some of these games are going to play out. Um, you know, as, as we kind of look ahead, and, and I know there's a lot of question marks really for both teams. Uh, how do you see the game playing out on Saturday if you had to make a prediction and um, get a feel for what you think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be close, to be honest with you. I just, I, I'm dubious about a team not being, not not just not playing a game. You know, if, if Wisconsin was able to practice the last two weeks and just had maybe like, you could call it like an extended bye week or something like that, it'd be a lot different. They didn't really get to practice 
in a real sense, of the full team sense, until this Monday. They got on the field late last week to do some individual work. So I, I think there's going to be some rust. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of talent you have when they don't play like that. I mean, it's almost impossible to expect them to come out guns blazing. So I think there's going to be some rust on the Wisconsin side, and I think that helps keep it close. And I think the fact that Wisconsin will be a little rusty, they won't be able to jump out to a lead like Michigan State or Indiana has and get uh, Minnesota or excuse me, Minnesota, uh, Michigan out of their game and out of their ability to be balanced with the run and pass game. And that's where I really think the, the issue has come for Michigan is that because they've been trailing, they've been having to throw almost every play, and that's just not what um, their offense is designed to do. So you combine all these things, I think it's going to be close. I still think assuming that there's enough of – the, the starting unit that we've seen from Wisconsin, um, at least depth chart-wise, at least if there's enough of those guys out there, I still think Wisconsin finds a way to pull this out. But I do believe it's going to be close. Yeah, I think we're going to find out a lot about uh, you know what 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 we can maybe expect from both teams uh, on Saturday evening when they hit the field and we get to see uh, who's dressed uh, for uh, for the Badgers. Uh, as they're coming out of the uh, COVID-19 situation. But uh, really excited uh, that they're getting back on the field um, and Michigan being able to play Wisconsin. A big primetime game on Saturday night. Uh, looking forward to that one. Uh, Colton, I can't thank you enough for the time today. Colton Bartholomew covers the Wisconsin Badgers for the Wisconsin State Journal. Great work he does at Madison.com. You can find him on Twitter at CBartWSJ. Colton, thanks so much for the time today and enjoy the game on Saturday. Hey, no problem, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. All right, great stuff there from Colton Bartholomew. And by the way, I mentioned Madison being one of my favorite Big Ten towns, other than Ann Arbor, of course. If you've never been to Madison for a football weekend, throw that on the bucket list. Even if it isn't a football weekend, Madison's great. But definitely for a football weekend, so much fun. Obviously, you can't do it this year. But what a great place. Great game day atmosphere. The bars, the tailgates, of course, the cheese curds and brats. Can't get enough of those. And you heard me mention in the interview with Colton, if you like beer, Spotted Cow, brewed by New Glarus Brewing. This is a beer you can only get in the state of Wisconsin. Like, good luck sneaking it out of the state. It is so freaking good. So Madison, Wisconsin, can't wait to get back there sometime soon. I'd encourage you to go there as well. All right, time to go rapid fire, give you my straight up picks for the Big Ten slate this weekend, and then get you my four pack of picks for the week. Six games in the conference this week was supposed to be seven. Uh, Another week where we're going to miss a game. Ohio State and Maryland has been canceled due to some positive COVID-19 cases at Maryland. Obviously hope everyone is okay and getting healthy there quickly. Friday night, Iowa heads to Minnesota. And mentioned this last week, how Michigan State it would be if after upsetting Michigan, they laid an egg against Iowa and boy did they ever. Iowa obliterates Sparty 49-7. And uh, Minnesota, yeah, they get their first win of the season over Illinois. Uh, I think this could be a good one, but Iowa finally on the right side of the column here. I think they just, I don't know, something just tells me they're going to win that game on Friday. So I'm going to grab win number two with Iowa in that one. Saturday noon slate, Indiana at Michigan State, and (laughs) we talked about Sparty. How Indiana would it be to lose to Michigan State? After beating Penn State and Michigan and starting the season 3-0, and that would be pretty Indiana, a uh, pretty Indiana thing to do, especially leading up to their game against Ohio State. 
uh, next week. But that's also pretty Michigan State to do also. So I'm all in on the Penix train right now. Got to ride that Penix. I'll take the Hoosiers. Penn State and Nebraska, two fan bases that may be more pissed and more frustrated than Michigan fans are right now at their school. So we'll take that. I mean, you know, you don't really want to be a Penn State or a Nebraska fan right now, right? Take being a Michigan fan over that. Both teams, they're looking for their first win of the year. Ouch. And uh, sorry to my buddy Husker Mike. Penn State, I think they're going to win this one. Going to be a tight one. I'll go with 5-3. to three. Yeah, Penn State gets a little bit more offense. 5-3, to three, Penn State over Nebraska. Illinois Rutgers rounds out the noon slate. Illinois is bad. Rutgers actually put up 27 against Ohio State. I'll take the State University of New Jersey in that one. Uh, mentioned Ohio State-Maryland game canceled. No other games in the 330 window. That leaves our game on ABC at 730 and Northwestern at Purdue on the Big Ten Network. That game a perfect segue into my weekly pick segment. Last week's picks, 1-3. and three, Not great. Time to reverse the course this week. A lot of games postponed. Let's see what's left out there. I mentioned that game in West Lafayette. Northwestern at Purdue. The Wildcats, two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. Both teams are undefeated on the year. Northwestern, though, They've covered six of their last nine head-to-head against Purdue. They've also covered the spread in five of the last six on the road against the Boilermakers. I love that you're getting this at two and a half points. I thought, you know, Northwestern could win this game by at least a field goal. So I'm going to take the Wildcats here and the two and a half. Next in the ACC, the letdown spot of all letdown spots. Notre Dame is a 13 and a half point favorite against Boston College. I love this even more. If it was 14, 14 and a half, maybe you'll get that come Saturday. I think this is just way too many points. Notre Dame gave it their all last week in that big win against Clemson. And don't forget, just a few weeks before that, Boston College gave Clemson a run for their money. And Boston College has hung pretty tough against several quality opponents. Uh, Boston College, by the way, they are 5-0 and against their number in the last five games as a home underdog. I think this game screams hangover for Notre Dame after that win over Clemson last week. And, oh, by the way, after that field storming last week, I don't know that it would surprise anyone if maybe come game time a player or two missed the game uh, due to a COVID-19 positive. Obviously, we hope after that um, field storming that that isn't the case. But either way, that aside after a huge win like that I just think a spread of 13 and a half against a decent Boston College team that's been playing teams tough all year is just way too high so I'll take Boston College as the 13 and a half point underdogs next pick my favorite team I just keep coming back to the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers still undefeated on the season by the way they play the Trojans not USC The Troy Trojans, Coastal Carolina, a 10-point favorite, their last easy game before a big test against Appalachian State next week. Coastal Carolina has covered the number in four of their last five, while Troy has failed to cover six of their last nine overall in seven of their last nine at home. The Chanticleers, they're going to continue to roll. I'll take them and the 10 points. And my lock of the week comes in the Pac-12. The other Trojans, USC, 
14-point favorites at Arizona. No fans at Pac-12 games, so home field not going to mean much here for Arizona. USC played sloppy out of the gate last week, but then they came on strong in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter. A big come-from-behind victory over Arizona State, which is a much more quality team than Arizona. Um, We mentioned Arizona, the team USC is playing on Saturday. Arizona hasn't played a game yet this year. This will be their first game of the season. So USC coming in, a game under their belt. Arizona, first game of the year. USC, they've dominated Arizona over the last decade. They've won seven straight in this series. They obliterated Arizona last year. Betting nugget you need to know here. It's all on this number. USC is 4-0 against the number versus Arizona in their last four meetings. I'm taking the Trojans. They're my lock of the week. USC and the 14 points. Here we go. And now to the game that matters most on Saturday, the 1-2 Michigan Wolverines head back home to Ann Arbor to face the 13th ranked 1-0 Wisconsin Badgers. This game under the lights in Ann Arbor. National spotlight will be on these two teams. The big 7.30 primetime game on ABC. Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet on the call for this one. On the radio side, Jim Brandstander and Dan Dierdorf will call the game on the Learfield IMG College Michigan Football Radio Network. This will be the 69th meeting between Michigan and Wisconsin. Michigan holds a 51-16-1 lead in the all-time series. They also have a 24-6 record in games played at the Big House, but Wisconsin has had the edge lately. They won four of the last six meetings with Michigan, including a win last year in Madison by a score of 35-14. Wisconsin is looking to win two games in a row in this series for only the fourth time ever. And while Wisconsin has won four of the last six, they haven't won in the big house since 2010. Michigan has won the last two meetings in Ann Arbor. Now, if you're betting the game, Wisconsin's a four and a half point favorite and the over under is set at 54 and a half points. Uh, The over may be the way to go here if you like to follow betting trends. In the last eight meetings between these two schools, the over is six and two. Uh, also, the over is 6-0 in Wisconsin's last six games where they were a favorite and 8-0 in Michigan's last eight games where Michigan was a home underdog. So, listen, I don't bet on Michigan games, <laughs> but if you were, uh, that's a pretty telling number to look at right there in terms of the over. Uh, in terms of the game itself on Saturday, I, I got to tell you, I mean, there are a lot of wild cards Going into this game, I mean, if you take out the COVID-19 situation and just put Wisconsin on paper up against Michigan on paper, Wisconsin's got a decided advantage. I mean, Wisconsin is the team um, that should win the Big Ten West this year. They are the team that should give Ohio State the best run for the money. I, I still think Ohio State's the best team in the conference, but Wisconsin is super talented and they had a lot of high expectations this year. And the fact that they came out and saw their freshman quarterback, Graham Mertz, play as dominant of a football game and as incredible of a performance we've seen of any freshman quarterback, not just at Wisconsin, uh, not just at the Big Ten, but just a debut in general for a freshman quarterback, really, really impressive. But the wild card going into this game is We don't know what Wisconsin team we're going to get on the field on Saturday. Who's going to start at quarterback? Is it Graham Mertz? And if Graham Mertz plays, how effective will he be when just returning to practice the day before? I mean, either way, whether it's him or Vanden Boom, one of the other guys, like 
the quarterback for Wisconsin is going to have a pretty tasty matchup against the Michigan secondary unless Michigan figures out the secondary woes or more importantly can figure out a way to put pressure on the quarterback. So that's really, you know, we talk about the wild card on the Wisconsin side. That's really the wild card on the Michigan side of things. What team shows up? Does the offense get in rhythm early and click like they did against Minnesota? Or do they sputter and have to rely on the defense? And what adjustments did the coaching staff make this week? I mean, Harbaugh said they've been practicing well. More guys are going to get opportunities. They feel like they're on the cusp. Last time he said that, last year, big game at the big house, under the lights, nighttime. Notre Dame comes to town. Michigan beats them by 30-plus points. So, Maybe we see that on Saturday. It's a complete wild card going into this game. I can tell you one thing, though, and we just mentioned that game last year against Notre Dame. It would certainly behoove Michigan to get this ship turned around and win a big game Saturday night on national TV. There are going to be a lot of eyeballs on this one. You lose the game, especially if you lose it ugly. Just going to be more, more fodder. Um, For those folks that are really, truly anti-Harbaugh and this coaching staff, just a lot more going to be spewed uh, at this team uh, next week if they lose this game and especially if they lose it ugly. But you go out and you win this game. It doesn't take the pressure off because now, again, you're having the same conversation of the expectations were higher and where was this team? Why didn't they show up before? But gosh, winning solves a lot of the issues. So obviously I'm just stating the obvious here, but I think anything can happen. There's no doubt about it. And after 27 positive tests between coaches and players over the last few weeks at Wisconsin, I mean, who knows what to expect out of Wisconsin on Saturday? We're going to really learn a lot. As we were talking with Colton Bartholomew, like, we're going to learn a lot in terms of when these teams hit the field on Saturday, who is dressed for Wisconsin? Who's warming up for Wisconsin uh, and going to be playing in this game on Saturday? And while Michigan can win this game, and obviously certainly hoping that they will do so, it's just hard to pick them at this point with any sort of confidence. After the loss to Michigan State, after what happened on the road at Indiana last week, after just a week of just doubting and frustration and wondering like what's next for this team, it's just really hard to pick them with any confidence right now. So hopeful this team turns it around, hopeful they come out and really show what we've expected, what we expected to see out of them, what we expected to see out of a team that played so well in the opener. You really hope Michigan can do that on Saturday. But right now, me personally, I just don't see it. It's very hard to pick them with confidence. So with that, I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm going to go with Wisconsin 30, Michigan 27. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. Big thank you to Colton Bartholomew for popping on earlier. And thank you for tuning in to the podcast. As always, be sure to download and subscribe to Hail to the Pod anywhere your favorite podcasts are found. That includes Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Uh, You can always email the show, hailtothepod at gmail.com. And follow me on Twitter at krich23. Enjoy the game on Saturday. And as always, go Blue.